This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Well, good morning. Welcome to South. We're so glad that you're here, especially if this is your first time. Uh, We are glad that you're with us this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 11. If you have a Bible, you can open up uh, to Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. That's where we're going to be camping out uh, for our time together. When I was in college, I lived with 12 of my best friends. Um, Our house was affectionately called the Dirty Dozen um, or the D House, the Dirty House. And we earned that name rightly, I want to assure you. Um, But also one of the things that we had fun doing was hosting uh, parties for our friends. And around uh, fall, around this time every year, we would have a chili cook-off where everybody in the house would be required to cook a pot of chili, and then we would invite our friends over to judge each chili and rate the winner. Well, here's what we started to do. As the years went by, we started to know you can't just have a normal chili and win the chili cook-off. I mean, you can't play it safe and get a W in the column of chili cook-off. You had to, you had to go and do something a little bit different. You had to have, um, we started to call it the special sauce, all right, so it was something that differentiated your chili from the other chilies. Some guys put in um, like cinnamon and sugar. Other people put in like sriracha sauce. And, and, and I have my special sauce too. Um, my special sauce was nacho cheese to the glory of God. So I would brew uh, my pot of chili or make my pot of brew chili. Um, and I would, at the very end of it, I would put in this delicious Campbell's Fiesta nacho cheese. Just pop it right in there. And what it did was it made the chili a little bit more creamy and it made it taste absolutely delicious. Anybody have like a, a special chili that they make? And this is the time of year where you're probably starting to think about it. I think that... Well, that's good for chili, the special sauce, the, 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 the something that's behind the real thing. Yeah, that's what, that's what it does, right? That's what the special ingredient does. It, it, it doesn't stand out itself, but it makes everything else taste a little bit better. I think that in life, there's a, a certain special sauce too. And see, you, you all know it. And there's certain people that for you, they, they sort of, they have that special sauce. And in your life, it just makes everything else flourish. It makes everything else come alive. And, and in and of itself, it probably wouldn't be all that great. But the way that it mixes with everything else, the way that it sort of combines with the other elements of your life, it just makes everything else sort of pop up and grow and flourish. You see, all of us, we have people in our life who play this role, the special sauce role, that make everything else better. See, see, here's the thing, though. It's not easy to be this type of person. It's not easy to be the type of person that that makes other things flourish and makes other things grow, because sometimes it means taking a little bit of a backseat and just sort of supplementing where needed. A lot of us, we like the limelight a lot more than the special sauce allows. What I want to do this morning is I want to point you to the scriptures. I want to point you to Acts chapter 11 and show you what the special sauce is behind every successful organization, every successful individual. They have somebody in their life who plays this role. Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. 
It says this, and this is Dr. Luke recording as he gathers from historical reliable sources the emergence of the early church. Now, I've been saying the early church over the last 22 weeks as I've preached through the first 11 chapters of the book of Acts. A friend says to me this week, how do you know we're not still in the early church? How do you know we're not part of the early church? Which is a great question. We might be the early church. Okay, but that's a side note, just for fun to chew on a little bit. So we're tracing the history of the early, quote-unquote, church as they emerge onto the scene, this movement that Jesus starts when he walks out of the grave, that his followers continue on as Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, works in their lives to carry the good news of the gospel to every corner of the globe. Verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen... Now, you remember that at the end of chapter 7, Stephen is is drug outside of the city. He's stoned to death. One of the early leaders in the Christian church, people see him die in the streets, and they scatter around this region of Judea and to the outskirts into Samaria and eventually to the end of of the earth. It says, and they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now, just a quick time out. This was the method of early evangelism. Let's go to the people of God. Let's tell them about their Messiah who's come. And we're going to see that that method takes them to a certain point and then starts to spread outward further and further to include not only Jewish people, but Greeks and others as well. It says, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. That's their message. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Verse 23. Now, just a quick side note. Many people think of the church in Jerusalem as the hub of early Christianity, And what we're going to see over our study in the next few weeks in the book of Acts is that, in fact, the early church's hub, the the center of activity and the center of, of what we would want to model ourselves after as a church isn't necessarily stationed in Jerusalem. It's actually in Antioch. It's actually in Antioch. This is the sort of epitome of the early first century church, verse 23. And when he came, this is Barnabas, sent by the church in Jerusalem down to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God and he was glad. And he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. I love this picture we get of Barnabas. It doesn't tell us that he told people about Jesus, (laughs) It doesn't tell us that he was a great evangelist in this passage. It tells us that he's sent from the church in Jerusalem, and he comes down and he exhorted them. Quite literally, it means to encourage. And it turns out that this encouragement that Barnabas brings from the church in Jerusalem to the church in Antioch is sort of this this secret sauce that makes whatever they're doing there flourish. It's as though Barnabas takes fertilizer and he starts to just spread it in the garden of this early incipient church and it just blows up. 
he exhorted them. Some of your translations will say he encouraged them. But whatever he did, he emerges onto the scene and what happens in this church, what happens in the individuals there, just starts to flourish. And we see this, this beautiful reality that you and I know experientially, and I just want to point you to it, it's in the scriptures, that encouragement has this beautiful, wonderful, massive potential to connect people to the power and love of God. I don't know if you've ever stopped and paused long enough to realize and recognize the power that your words have. The power that your words have to either bring life or to bring death, to bring hope or to bring despair. Barnabas, we get this snapshot, and I love Barnabas. If you sort of trace his journey throughout the early church, every time he shows up, significant, awesome things happen because this is who he is. His name quite literally means son of encouragement. And he has this conviction, Barnabas does. He has this conviction that the words that he speaks have the power to connect people sort of as like a conduit, a bridge between where they're at and the power and love of God. And as he speaks these words, life starts to happen all around him. Let me ask you, do do, do you you have the, the secret sauce? I mean, do do your words do the same thing? This word encourage or exhort as it is in the ESV has this wonderful power. I think the great author George MacDonald, who obviously and evidently rocked an awesome beard as well, but here's what he said. He said this. He said, instead of a gem or even a flower, we should cast the gift of a loving thought into a heart of a friend. That would be giving as the angels give. And that's one of the reasons, I don't know if you know that, but that's one of the reasons we consistently, weekly gather together as a body of Christ. That we can be, as it were, the secret sauce in each other's lives, that we can be an encouragement to one another. Uh, Listen to the way that the author of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. He or she writes this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Uh, That's a a wonderful thing to say, isn't it? Um, Just think about it. Spend some time wrestling with how you can stir each other up. Not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching or drawing near. Encourage one another. Speak into one another's lives. But here's the thing, that's easier to say than do, isn't it? It's easier to talk about the secret sauce than it actually is to be it in people's lives. And here's why. Because this word encouragement is a sort of complex word in the Greek. It's a word, parakaleo. Will you say that with me? Parakaleo. Right, it's, it's actually two Greek words put together. Oh, this reformatted it for me. Two Greek words, para and... Kaleo, right, right. So para means alongside. It means alongside. It's this very relational term. It's a loving term. It's in a term of endearment, as it were. Kaleo means, whoops, means to call. 
And you see, here's just what we learn as we sort of uh, look into this word, what's behind, what's beneath the surface a little bit about the, the, with this word encouragement, is that it's impossible to be weak and to be an encourager. It's also impossible to be unloving and to be an encourager. See, because here's what encouraging people do. They wonderfully, graciously, gently call people to something better. You cannot be simply nice and be an encouragement. Biblical encouragement is far more than trite sentimentalities and pats on the back. You're doing a great job. It requires that we love people enough to have difficult conversations and then say, walk with me as we move towards Jesus together. See, the para is the, is the relational term. It's the loving term, the, the, the kaleo, the call forth, to call out, to, to beckon, to beg, to say, you can do more. You can walk with Jesus more fully. God's grace is real. It's prevalent. It's now. You don't have to live in your sin. Come on. It's this beautiful, relational, yet strong term. That's why it's hard. That's why it's hard, because in order to, to have the special sauce that makes organizations, it makes individuals better, we need to be both loving and firm. We need to be both filled with grace and filled with truth. We need to give the pat on the back, and then we also need to give the exhortation, come on, there's more. There's more. This is the role that Barnabas plays. This is the role that he lives. This is the role that God uses him in as God builds his church and his kingdom. Are you able to play that role in people's lives? Some of us are just too scared. I mean, I mean we, we want people to like us. So to call them to something better, to call them to something more, it's far easier, friends, to pat people on the back and say you're doing a great job than it is to really actually be an encouragement. We think about, for a second, we think about the people in your life that have been a true encouragement. My guess is there are people that played that role. They called you to something more and they invited you to walk alongside. Now, I wanna spend the remaining few minutes that I have unpacking with you from the scriptures what this actually looks like in Barnabas' ministry to the church and presumably in our lives as followers of Jesus as well. Look at this a little bit more closely with me. Here's what it says, verse 23. It says, and when he, and this he here is Barnabas, when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted or encouraged them to remain faithful. Just stop there. Here's what Barnabas does, sent from the church in Jerusalem, walks into the town, the church of Antioch, and he says immediately, God is at work in this place. He has this ability to see the way that God is moving, to see the way that God is working, to see the way that this church is starting to develop, and he calls it out. Isn't that a beautiful, he calls it out. He, he sees it and he celebrates it. I had this 
friend who came last week. They, they had to leave South for a number of reasons, but they were back last week. And they came to me and they said, Ryan, you're, you're in this every week, so you probably don't see it, but, but just during worship and during um, the preaching of the word, there's just this sweet spirit of God's presence and moving in the midst here. And you may not see it, Ryan, because you're in it, but just coming back, they said, man, it is awesome to see the way God's at work. That's what encouragers do. See, encouragers, they discern and they excavate the grace of God. They excavate it. They're they're sort of like detectives and archaeologists of grace. They, They dig it up. They brush it off. They bring it out and they say, oh. See, you thought you were just on cruise control, but let me point out to you the way that God is at work in your midst, the way that you're changing, the way that you're growing, the way that God is on the move. From an outside looking in, I can see it. Maybe you can't, but I can see it. My wife Kelly and I, we used to love the PBS show Sherlock. And Sherlock would walk into a crime scene. If you've seen the show, he would walk into a crime scene and his mind started going like a computer and it was just like, you know, he could see everything, every little cut on every finger, every note left on the table, doors unlocked, whatever. And he just processed and he saw it all. I get this picture of Barnabas. As he sees this church, if his approach to grace is the same, God, where are you moving? God, what are you doing? And how do we point that out? And how do we dust it off? And how do we lift it high and celebrate it? See, encouragers, they don't point people to themselves. Encouragers don't say, hey, you can do it. Pull up your bootstraps, come on. They point out the way that God is at work. And can I t- if you've ever had somebody do that for you, isn't that far more encouraging than you can do it? Try harder. The ironic piece of that is that when people point out God is at work and on the move, it makes me want to step into it all the more. And that's what Barnabas does for this church. What a ministry. So, encouraging people, they discern and excavate grace. They see it, they dust it off, and they bring it out. Let me show you the next thing they do. It says, when he, Barnabas, came, And he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of faith. So he not only sees, and he not only celebrates, and he not only lifts high the grace of God, but here's the second thing encouragers do. They point people towards purpose. Barnabas is not just giving a nice pat on the back and trite sentimentalities that you could find on a Hallmark card. Barnabas is saying to the early church, remember why you were created, friends. Remember the mission that you have, that this is about far more than just being comfortable, and this is about far more than just having our needs met, that this is about the glory of God in all the nations. This is the conversation he has with the church. Remember why you exist. You were designed to step into relationship with a God who's in pursuit of you and to live your life in response to the absolute glorious love that Jesus showed you on the cross. And in a world where more and more options are readily at our fingertips, can you see the way that this would be an encouragement to people? To remind 
folks why God designed them. And in different phases in life, this is going to mean different things, right? So, so people that are, par- like I am, parents of small kids, we need to remember that we only have a few years where our kids live in our house, right? Any amens from people that have lived that, right? We need to remember what God's called us to do. For those who have already sort of graduated out of that or they haven't lived that, they need to remember, God, why have you made me? Have you ever tried to just write down a one-sentence mission for your life? Why do you exist? Can I give it to you in just like a, a nutshell? Here's what Jesus said when people asked him, hey, hey what's the greatest command? Above all else, what should we do? And you know this, but let me just remind you of it. Above all else, what should we do? And Jesus responds, here's, here's what you should do. If you do nothing else, do this. It may be where we should sink our anchor. I don't, I'm just throwing it out there. Love me. Love God, he says. And love the people around you. There's a story of a, of a Jewish rabbi and he spent the day in study and he was coming home and, and the sun had set and it was dark and, and there was this fork in the road and normally he went to the left where, where his house was but this time in the darkness he just missed his turn off and he kept going to the right side of the road and as he got further and further along he was approaching this Roman outpost and there was this Roman centurion who stood at the gate and in this booming voice he said to him, who are you? What are you doing here? And as the rabbi approached a little bit closer, he said again, who are you and what are you doing here? And finally, the rabbi found himself standing right in front of this Roman centurion. And the centurion said to him, who are you? And what are you doing here? And the rabbi, instead of answering the question, he looked at him and he said, how much do they pay you to ask that question? And the Roman centurion said, three drachma a week. And he said, I'll double it if you'll stand at my house and ask me the same question every day. Who are you? And what are you doing here? See, Barnabas is this beautiful picture of a person that's able to take the lenses of life and bring them into focus and say, there, there, there it is. That's why God designed you. Chase that. Go after that with everything that you have and everything that you are. And hey, the truth of the matter is, friend, you might be able to see that in somebody else's life better than they can see it. So maybe God would invite you to walk alongside and to call people to something better, something more. Here's the way This passage in Acts continues. It says, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now that's an interesting transition. Barnabas sees grace. He excavates grace. Barnabas points them to purpose. And then Barnabas says, this is above my pay grade. Or or, better yet, this is above my gift mix. Or different than my gift mix. And so I'm going to call in the reinforcements. And he goes and he gets Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, in Antioch, not in Jerusalem, but in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. 
And here's what Barnabas does. He says, I want you to grow, and I want you to grow badly enough that I'm willing to not be the guy. I'll just be the secret sauce. I'll be behind the scenes, and I'm going to make everything else grow. I'm going to make everything else flourish. I'm going to be the fertilizer for this early Christian community by getting somebody here who can continue to point you to Jesus in a different way than I'm wired to do. See, here's what encouragers do. They help position people for growth. That's what Barnabas does. He makes this bold move to say, I don't need to be the guy. You see, you cannot be encouraging if you're jealous. It's impossible. Try it. Because if you're jealous, what you're going to try to do is sabotage other people so that you can get one rung up on the ladder. Encouraging people are people who know who they are, who they are being wired to be and designed to be by the grace of God, under the design of God, and they're willing to play that part. And their goal is, hey, how do I help the people around me grow and flourish in life and faith and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus? That's what they do. So Barnabas gets Saul, and he somehow signs him for a one-year contract. It's brilliant. Like, come on down here. Teach us what it looks like to follow after the heart of Jesus. The other way people are positioned for growth, or you could position people for growth, is, is, is maybe like the Apostle Paul says, follow me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Follow me or be Im- an imitator of me as I follow after Christ. Maybe you say to somebody, let's do this journey of discipleship together. Let's walk together. I I was riding my bike on Labor Day around Chatfield Reservoir. And I was coming back home, and there's this sort of upgrade that, that happens as you leave Santa Fe and you start to go back towards university. And this guy darted past me like he was training for the Tour de France. I mean, I'm like huffing and puffing as hard as I think I can, and he just like... Boom! And I'm like, awesome! You know, in the back of my mind. But I'm like, how dare you, right? Do not question my manhood like that, right? Like all sorts of weird stuff goes through your head. And and I'm like, I am going to chase this guy. And so as hard as I could, I'm pedaling. I'm like, oh, you know, like, and and I'm not gaining on him at all, but I'm not losing any ground. And that was a huge feat based on how fast he passed me. And I thought, you know what? As I'm doing this, this is sort of, I think what Paul describes here, follow me as I follow Jesus. Like he's, he's way far out there, but he's going, come on, you can do it. Come on. God's grace is sufficient for you. Come on, keep going. These are the type of relationships, I bet you'd agree, in your life that have been encouraging. These are parakaleo type of relationships. Hey, can I just say, on the seat next to you or the one you're seating on, you got a little invite for a new series we're starting next week. We're going to take a few-week break in our journey through the book of Acts to to do a, a series that we're calling The Beautiful Journey. It's all about what it looks like to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. Maybe one of the ways you parakaleo some of the people around you is you hand this out and you say, hey, would you, what do you think about coming with me? Coming alongside of me as we learn what it looks like to be transformed as we see Jesus. See, this is the first place that people are called Christians. 
And the distinctives of their community are that they're evangelistic, they're loving, they're growing, they're communal, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're generous. Look at this. Verse 27. It says, And now these days prophets came down down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples, and just a quick sorry, anecdotal side note, don't you love that the Bible puts little, little descriptions in there so you can go back to the history books and go, well, yeah, Claudius was, was ruling here, and, and, and then, yep, there was a famine, sure enough. Hmm, weird, okay. So the disciples determined, because you know what? They didn't have to do that, right? So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is one of the more beautiful things that encouragers do. They try to get people outside of themselves, and they point them to a bigger, better story. That's what Barnabas does. He says, hey, hey, church in Antioch, you don't exist simply for yourself. You exist for the glory of God, to build the kingdom of God, that the name of King Jesus might be great. And you know what, church in Antioch? Your resources could be used way better up in Jerusalem. Are you willing to be part of their story too? Are you willing to be part of what God's doing there also? And here's what encouragers do. They ignite or initiate movements of generosity. Not just pats on the back, not just you're doing a nice job, not just, sure, whatever you want. No, 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 no. You are invited by God to be part of a bigger, better story. And anytime we tie our resources together, with the hearts and resources of other people, our story grows. So I don't apologize for asking you to give here or wherever else you give to Love Inc., to missionaries, to the organizations that you see playing a role in making our communities a better place for people to live. I will never apologize for inviting you to give some of your stuff away because I just believe it's a far better way to live. And encouragers are constantly saying, you could be part of a better, bigger story. That's what Barnabas does. I said at the onset, though, that this is hard. This is difficult, isn't it? I mean, I mean, living this way, to see and excavate grace, to point people to purpose, to be the type of person that inspires and initiates movements of, of generosity and to position people for growth, that's not an easy thing. I mean, maybe you start to ask the question, how, how do I actually become that type of person? Because, yeah, you can unpack it, Ryan, and to call alongside, that's great, and to do all those things, that's awesome, but there's something in me that actually probably doesn't even want to do that. If we're honest. See, the old saying, hurt people hurt people, it's true. But healthy people heal people. I love the way that Robert Mulholland put it when he said this, we become, we become, and we'll talk about how in just a moment, either agents of God's healing and liberating grace or carriers of the sickness of the world. And being agents of his healing grace 
I think is part of that is being the secret sauce. It makes people flourish. So how does Barnabas do this? Well, look at this. In verse 24 of chapter 11, we get this hint. It says this in describing Barnabas. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Interesting. This word Holy Spirit, Jesus described in in John chapter 14, and he used a word very similar to this word exhort or encourage. He actually uses the noun form of that verb, helper or paraclete. Listen to the way he says this. It says, and I will ask the Father in chapter 14, verse 16 of John, I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he will give you another helper or encourager, someone to walk alongside of you, and he will be with you forever. Now, it's interesting. Here, listen, listen closely to what Jesus says. He says, I'm going to give you another encourager, another paraclete, another person to parakaleo you. Well, the question becomes, well, well, who's the first one then? (laughs) Who's the first one? John unpacks that for us also. Listen to this in 1 John chapter 2 and, and sort of follow me here. He says, my little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, and his name is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So Jesus says, I'm your advocate. I'm your your lawyer. I stand not just beside you and not just for you, but in your place before the throne of God. And he goes, hey, here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. I'm going to send another advocate, another encourager, another helper, another paraclete to parakaleo you. And the job of that other paraclete, that job of that other encourager is to remind you what your first advocate does for you right now. Because before the throne of God right now, Jesus not only stands by you, but in your place to declare, he's my son or daughter. He's holy and blameless. She's perfect in my sight. I died for her. My blood covers her sin completely, wholly, totally. There's no more guilt. There's no more shame. There's no more trying. You are exactly the way I designed you to be before my throne. That's what he says. And the other advocate, the Holy Spirit, he makes beautiful that reality. He whispers to you, and I hope you hear it this morning. He whispers to you, hey, there's no more shame. There's no more guilt. Jesus has paid it all. All to him you owe. It is finished. You see, the reality is is that hurt people hurt people, but healthy people heal people, and healthy people are people who are grounded in the identity of Jesus. That as the Holy Spirit stirs and works in them, they're confident in what Jesus has already done for them. And as the Holy Spirit lives in them, they start to have the ability to live for Jesus and other people. And as the Spirit of God takes root in them, they start to become like the secret sauce. 
Because they're healthy. Because they're whole. Because their second advocate is telling them what their first advocate is doing right now. And they live grounded in that beautiful reality. And you see, here's the truth of the matter, friends, is that encouragers, they're people, they're people that hear the music of the gospel and invite other people. Come dance. He's good. He's gracious. His grace is sufficient for you. But as people, we have this sort of spiritual amnesia, don't we? I mean, we forget and we start to go back into these ways of instead of building people up and encouraging people, we we either um, deviate to trying to justify ourselves or we just settle for pat on the back, nice sentimentalities to the people around us. The gospel brings us back. So in 2,000 years ago, Jesus' last supper with his friends, he sat around the table and he took really familiar elements and he gave them a picture, a picture that we're going to celebrate this morning. It was a picture of his goodness, a picture of his grace, a picture of his love. And as he took the bread and he broke it and he took the wine, he said, this bread is my body, which I'm going to give for you. This wine is the cup of the new covenant that's built and formed in my blood. And for 2,000 plus years, followers of Jesus have been reminding each other and themselves that right now, Jesus stands before the throne of God as our advocate, our paraclete, our encourager, our helper, our defense we also remind ourselves that he promised the Holy Spirit would never leave us. The second advocate reminding us what Jesus does right now. So we're going to come and we're going to celebrate. And as we celebrate, I hope that you are deeply and meaningfully encouraged that you hear him speak over you. And as you're encouraged, I pray that you would be an encourager. As we pray, I'm going to invite our band to come back forward and I'm going to invite our servers to go to their stations. We have stations right up front here over to the side. And then if you'd like to celebrate um, communion um, in the prayer rooms, we have elements there as well. I'm going to invite you. Would you take the bread whenever you feel led as a symbol that this is a relationship that you have personally with Jesus? And would you hold the cup that we might celebrate it together? to remind us that while we have a personal relationship with Jesus, it was never meant to be autonomous or private. We're part of a body together. Let's pray. King Jesus, we love you. We celebrate the grace and the mercy that is ours because of your sacrifice. And as we do that this morning, would you encourage our souls deeply Would you remind us, Jesus, of the grace that is ours? Would you remind us how you long for us to grow and to flourish into the people of God that you've designed us to be? Would you remind us of the purpose that we have in being alive today? And Jesus, would you remind us of your design that you've given us to be part of a story bigger than our own? So as we gather around your table today, we gather around your throne and we see Jesus standing in our place in our defense reminding us who we are. Help us soak in that well as we celebrate your table. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 
This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org. Uh, 